Today's message, is your liturgy legit? Is your liturgy legit, legitimate? Um, I'm going to be asking you three questions so you can determine, is your liturgy legit? Question number one, we'll go right to it. No story, no intro, no history, here we go. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? I was reading uh, a book by a fellow named R.C. Sproul, some of you know that name, and he was discussing uh, some of the top reasons people go to church, and, and he said that the number one motivation for people going to church is, I'll let you think what you think it is, the desire for human fellowship. The number one reason for people going to church, the desire for human fellowship. The main reasons for not attending a Sunday morning meeting, what do you think they are? Worship is boring and irrelevant, and the people at the services are not friendly. So worship is boring, and the people are not friendly. Now, we all know the number one reason we ought to go to church. Why do we go to church? To worship God. That's why we go. But these things do affect us, don't they? They can tempt us. But that's not the reason we go. We go to worship God, or as we talked about last week, we go to respond to God's revelation of himself. And that's what we do. He has revealed himself to us, and we respond in that circle that we talked about last week. But the question is, how do we know if we've worshipped God? That's why I'm talking about is your liturgy legit. How do you know if you've worshipped God? Is it if you felt something? Um, If you said, based on on your past history um, of churches, if you said the right words or did not say the right words, if someone else in your place mediated and said the right words or did the right thing in a ritual, um, why why do we do what we do? Why do we feel what we feel? Why on some Sunday mornings do you walk away saying, God was, A, not really much there, B, He was there, or, wow, he was really, really there. We've all had those days, haven't we? Well, for many regular churchgoers, and I'm saying that as opposed to just assuming everybody who goes to church is a Christian, but for many regular churchgoers, whether or not it was a worshipful experience, I'd like to propose to you today that it was because of the liturgy they experienced. It's because of the liturgy that they experienced. Now, if you're not from a liturgical background, if that's a foreign word to you, then let's define. So question number two, why do you go to church? Number one. Number two, what is a liturgy? Well, here's what a liturgy is. See if this fits. A fixed set of ceremonies, of words, etc., that are used during public worship in a religion, in any religion. If you're Buddhist, whatever you are, there's a fixed set. And that word, that's the definition of the word liturgy. Liturgy is an old word. It came to English in the 1500s, but prior to that, it was two Greek words which described doing a public service to a god, any god at all. And then it got to us via, via Latin and French and got to us in about the 1500s in English. But that word for us typically means a particular form or type. Now, this will be showing different people's backgrounds of a Eucharistic service. So liturgy was a capital L. The liturgy. So if you come from a Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox background, that word is capitalized typically in your mind. 
But let's drop down to Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodists, and Presbyterians. That word means just a form of public service or a ritual. How do you do church? If you come from a Pentecostal or Assembly of God or a seeker-sensitive megachurch kind of feel, or even a Baptist church, here's what typically that definition would, if you even know that word in those denominations, what that definition says, a particular arrangement of a service. Just how the service is arranged. Now, for some, liturgy is associated with dead formalism. Even if the words in the book or on the page are excellent, even if they're reading scripture, when these words become rote, they cease to be genuine words of praise or prayer or confession. I was brought up Lutheran. I wasn't even a Christian, but we attended Lutheran service regularly. And I remember when I got saved, I, I looked at the Lutheran liturgy, and I was just, you know, I would do the candle thing, and, and I would sit and do all that kind of stuff, and I knew it by heart, but it was rote. And then I became a Christian, and I remember I was dating Corey, and, and I just had, I said, who wrote this stuff? It was incredible. But when it becomes rote, it becomes like insincere flattery or spin. You know what that feels like. Have you ever had somebody say, you really look nice today? And then you know they're going to talk to somebody else about it. Oh, that looks dumb. Um, so we, we know what that feels like. Sadly, we've done it. So we, we know the difference between legitimate praise And when it's not. We, we know when it's done to us. We wa- we've done it. We've watched it done to others. And guess what? God knows when we're doing it to him. When we do it by the numbers, God is aware. The Old Testament prophets had strong words about dead, empty formalism into which Jewish worship had sunk to. Jesus, you find in the New Testament with the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't very pleased either. And you know what? I'm so glad that we don't have formalism or liturgy here at Palm Vista. Aren't you glad there's no liturgy here? Or do we? I, I, uh, I, I do. How about you? Let's see. Let's see if we do. You know, toys are us. You know, babies are us. Okay. Is formalism our us? I can just go through the motions while my mind is somewhere else, can't you? Have you ever done that? You pay my salary, and I do that sometimes. Maybe I ought to have a deduction for my salary at that week. So that's formalism are us. Liturgy are us too. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Here's our liturgy. You ready? I'll read it. It's not written, but you know it. You know it intuitively. Here we go. It's four songs. The lights are dimmed. Sometimes it's interspersed these songs with a prayer or an exhortation from Zeke or from a pastor. On occasion, someone comes to the mic and gives an impression or a word picture that's a standalone or is then or is commented on by Zeke or a pastor. Then what do we do next? Of course, it's our liturgy. We sing another song. And then a pastor prays, unless it's communion, always the third Sunday, and always after the second song. And then we have a third song, because we only sing three songs instead of four on communion Sunday. And then what happens either Sunday after the last song? Lights are up, we have an offering, we pray, we have announcements, there's preaching. Then the lights are dimmed down during or right after prayer. And during or before or right after prayer, (laughs) we Close our Bibles, turn off our devices, or turn on our devices. We look for our purses and our bags. Our children are alerted. 
And then right before prayer, sometimes during the prayer, right after prayer that happens. And then the band returns, and a song happens. And then depending on which pastor, a benediction, or possibly a reminder of some sign-up, or visitor reception. Liturgy are us. We got one. It's a form of public worship, a ritual, a particular arrangement of how we worship. And by the way, <laughs> liturgy are you too. This is my seat. Don't sit here. <laughs> I can't worship God if I'm sitting over there because I always sit here. This is the only place he shows up for me. I can't worship God in the back. I can't worship God in the front. Liturgy are us. Certain songs, certain styles of songs, even certain leaders move you more than others. Certain things count as worship, and certain things just don't count as worship. We know offerings should count as worship, but it usually doesn't feel very worshipful. And of course, there needs to be a final song. I mean, last week, it was, it was funny. If you notice, uh, we've been mixing up the liturgy. Okay, it's a point. Last week, I ended a prayer, and a friend of mine came up to me, and he goes, Wow! You know, you preached on worship, but we didn't sing a song afterward. So worship equals song. And but because we're good friends, I looked at him and I said, you're right, um, but we did pray. And he went, oh yeah, that's worship too. See, we have a liturgy. We have a liturgy. There's nothing wrong with having a liturgy. Should liturgy be aimed at us? Should liturgy be aimed at a target audience? Are Sundays primarily, primarily about evangelism or primarily about engaging our emotions or primarily about us sensing whatever that means? God's presence? Does God care how we worship as long as our worship is sincere? See, our answers to those questions often significantly affect our evaluation of Sunday morning. Now, I know no one here ever evaluates Sunday morning. Was God present, kind of present, or really, really present? I suspect every one of us here have a preferred, I do, a preferred liturgy. But is our liturgical preference a biblical one? And should our liturgical preference be reduced to only one type or one form or one style? Here's another way to ask that. And you've experienced it these last three weeks. We've been messing with you. Can you worship outside of your preferred liturgical box? Number three, last question is your preferred, because you have one, so do I. Maybe you don't, I do. Is your preferred liturgy legit? Is it legit? Well, let's, let's uh, look at some scriptures and see if we can find out. Since God is the object, God is who? He's the object and the substance of our worship. Shouldn't we worship God in the way that he's revealed to us in his word? That should be our starting point as we answer this question. We need to worship God the way he's revealed. He wants to be worshipped, and he's revealed that through his infallible word. 
We have fallible feelings. He's revealed things. So let's start with what we read a couple of weeks ago, Hebrews 13, I mean Hebrews 12. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. So there's a quick definition, isn't it? Right there. What does that look like? The next words. With reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. So that's where we should begin, is answering the question, is our liturgy legit? Is my preferred liturgy, does my preferred liturgy promote a casual treatment of God? Does my preferred liturgy make me casual towards his his word, towards prayer, or towards his people? If any of those, your liturgy, you have to answer, yeah, it kind of does. That part of the service is boring. That's not worship. Your liturgy may be suspect. God cares about how he's worshipped. Ask Cain and Abel. Ask Aaron and the Levites during what we can euphemistically call the golden calf incident when a lot of people died. Ask Aaron's sons who later on were destroyed because they worshipped sincerely but offered something God didn't require. They were killed. Ask, oh, wait a minute, Jim, that's just Old Testament. Ask the Corinthians as they were receiving communion and some were getting sick and others were dying. That's New Testament. So much for treating God lightly. (laughs) We covered that the first sermon. But what about, Jim, delight and joy? Well, let's see how they combine. Psalm 2. Serve the Lord. Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Serve our God. He's, been, he's given us his name. Serve him with fear and rejoice. Now, here's words we don't usually put together. Rejoice with trembling. But you put that word together more than you're aware. Anytime you ever prayed the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, what do you say? Our Father. There's the filial relationship. And then what's the next thing you say? Holy, hallowed be your name. They always go together. His love is a holy love. He's a holy father. We serve him and rejoice with trembling. The psalmist here parallels a sober, respectful attitude. Remember, we went over what does the word fear mean there in Old and New Testament. This respectful attitude, reverential awe. He puts it together with the word rejoicing, a trembling rejoicing. We're actually commanded in Philippians to rejoice always. So we can put the two together. Reverence refuses to minimize who's present. God is here. Reverence, respect, refuses to minimize our holy God is present. It it refuses to reduce this to me. It's not about me. I get to benefit by his amazing mercy and love and benevolence. But I, I, oh, we, we talked about that last week. But it begins not with me. It begins with him. But reverence, because of what he's done for us, what he's accomplished, 
by the cross, by sending Christ, all the, the things and the riches and the, and the blessings that he gives us, we're not, if we're a Christian, we're not going to hell. If you've repented and believed in Christ and, and repented of living your own life and have become a follower of him, guess what? There's so much to be joyful about. I mean, you're ever having a, the, the most depressed day you have? There's a million, million people in hell that trade places with you like that. Look at the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Trade with you like that. That's not meant to say, hey, stupid, suck it up. No, that's not my point. It's, it's, it's meant to motivate us. No. Remember the 70 came back? Here's all that's going on, Lord. Healed the sick, raised the dead, kicked out demons on their head. That's what they did. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? High five, way to go. No, no, he was happy. That's what he sent them to do. They bore much fruit and so proved themselves to be his disciples. They were prefiguring the prayer he was going to pray in John 17. But no, he reminded them the source of joy. And that joy was tinged with fear. It was reverence, awe. He said, don't rejoice that that happened. Rejoice your names are written in the book of life. That's where your joy comes from. And if you rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, that presupposes you ain't going somewhere else, which is what you deserve. Reverential joy. So reverence can also include joy and delight and happiness and shouting and clapping. It's all legit. So let me ask a question. Is your preferred liturgy legit? Does it promote a casual treatment of God? Okay, good. We're not going to do that. Does it produce rejoicing? Does it do both at the same time? If your preferred liturgy does not accomplish that, it might be flawed. (laughs) Last week we talked about worship as being a response to God's revelation of himself for his glory and our good. Remember, God, like Corey read this morning, God doesn't need us. But here's the good news. This God who was perfectly happy before any of us were created has made a free, merciful, and generous choice to reveal himself to us. So we're to approach God on his terms, revealed in his word. But before we talk about a take, well, before we do that, let's take a a, a tour of, of revealed worship. But before we take this whirlwind tour of worship, Let's remind ourselves of two things. And they're really important because this stuff can be weighty, and it should be. But let me remind you of some stuff that helps shoot this full of joy as well. First scripture. First John 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Therefore, his glory which amazing, it's crazy. His glory and our good are always connected. As a matter of fact, when we don't glorify him, our lives fall apart, don't they? Number two, Matthew 11. Take my yoke. There's this oxen. It's it's this, this thing that you yoke yourself into. So here's Jesus on one side, and he says, stick your head in here and clamp down. Take my yoke upon you, you're walking with Jesus, and learn from me. Now, he's not saying, take my yoke and learn. And that would be okay if he did. 
For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find the God who doesn't need us tells us you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and it's a burden, but it's light. Commands, worship, response, coming to him on his terms, obedience, service. (laughs) Rest for your souls. His glory, crazy, is always connected to our good, but it's in that order. All right, here's our whirlwind liturgical tour of the Bible. Sit back, there's no notes to take and no slides to read. Here we go. Immediately after Adam and Eve's sin, God sacrificed an innocent animal and made an amazing promise of future redemption and restoration. Years later, Adam and Eve's sons, two of them, offered equally valid sacrifices to God, but with two different motives. God accepted one, and he mercifully warned the other. And the other, Cain, commits the first murder. Humanity increases, and some, some, not most, hardly any, some continue to worship God. Sacrifices continue, and now memorial monuments, that Ebenezer we looked at three weeks ago, are now added. And all this occurs without any priests. It occurs at a variety of locations. But the thing they have in common, all the locations have in common, it's where God has showed himself strong to save and merciful in doing so. After the exodus from Egypt, what Corey talked about, the law of Moses is given, and a covenant that set Israel apart from all the other nations is established. God then, as part of that covenant, sets apart a class of priests, and specifically a clan of high priests. A mobile tabernacle starts, which is later replaced by a permanent temple or two. But this tabernacle and these temples, these, these two temples, follow detailed, specific instructions on sacrifices, on festivals, on holy days, even on their construction, about ritual, about washings, about vestments, the clothes. It's all carefully revealed by God and dutifully written down by Moses. Heart motives, though, remain critical. And prophets address kings and the nation when worship ever becomes empty ritual. If it's just about the vestments on the outside, you don't obey God or you don't worship him from the heart, Israel, a prophet shows up. Whether or not you're David or prophets that left him later or the nation, they always show up and say it's not just about the right animal at the right place at the right time. When Israel separates daily heartfelt obedience and love for one another, because most of the prophets were also talking about how they failed to treat each other as God's covenant people. We'll fast forward. A lack of doing either, obeying God or obeying God by loving his people, it leads to destruction and exile. That, that Welcome to the remnant we talked about in Romans. Welcome to what we just finished. But a remnant who, a remnant remains but they love and they worship and they obey God. Their 
restored. The temple is rebuilt. The prescription, the prescribed worship begins. And here's what's crazy. It begins and it's acceptable to God even without the high priestly line of a specific priest that needed to be in charge, Zadok, or there was no king present from the lineage of David all the way up until the time of Jesus. He still accepts it. Fast forward, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus never once, not in motive, not in thought, not in deed, he never once violates the liturgy that is prescribed by God. Never once. He keeps it. And he does what the prophets commanded. He keeps the obedient lifestyle that accompanies the liturgy. It was head, heart, and hand. All of Christ is touching his human nature all the time, all for the glory of God, all as a son learning obedience. He, he, he did all of that, but it didn't stop there. He fulfilled in his life, and he fulfilled by giving his life everything that from Genesis to right then pointed to. <laughs> they were the shadow. He was the substance. He dies, is buried, is resurrected, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Jesus fulfilled, oh, Jesus fulfilled all the altars, all the stones, the tabernacle, the temples, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the high priest. He obeyed and fulfilled the law on our behalf. He died in our place. He offered himself. He, he was the perfect sacrifice, and he was the great high priest. Simultaneously. He did all of that for us. He, he was Israel who kept the law. The only Israelite that kept the law. The only one. He was the new second Adam, the firstborn of a new humanity. What Adam and Eve, what Adam was a sinful swing and a miss, and what all of Israel did, he did perfectly. And what I deserved, he got. And the reward as touching his human nature that he deserved, I got. All by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Welcome to the gospel. And because of that, we're in union with him. And because of that, we're members of his body. Now connect worship, all these things we've been talking about for two weeks now. We're now members of his body. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're temples as well. The Holy Spirit dwelling in a temple, which is there to where God meets with man. The Holy Spirit assists us to pray. Remember Romans? The Holy Spirit motivates us and empowers us for love and good works. That's where ritual meets life. Romans 12.1. See, we no longer offer the sacrifices of animals, but the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. We offer, that's Hebrews, we offer our very bodies, Romans 12. All of us, all the time, are to bring him glory. Welcome to 1 Corinthians. We're to bring him honor. Welcome to hallowed be thy name. Ceremonial washing and purification rites from the Old Testament, they've been fulfilled by his death. He's washed away our sins by his blood. We're now declared sanctified. We have been made pure by his sacrifice. Proselyte washing and circumcision 
have been replaced by baptism. And baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. We're already washed. And, and we've already been given a new heart, and our heart of stone and our flesh has been cut away. Passover gives way to the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Day takes over the Sabbath. Where the Sabbath now, instead of doing nothing, and that was a good thing, instead of doing nothing, we now do good. Neither Jesus nor the writers of the New Testament offer any detailed instructions about how the church is to conduct public worship. None. Now, Acts narrates selected scenes. The letters, the epistles to the churches give some principles, but they mainly deal with daily conduct and doctrinal problems or the character and conduct of those who are in leadership. Now, Hebrews we get a lot, but even Hebrews it discusses much, but they're mainly a study of contrast between Old and New Covenant and how some things change but other things remain the same, especially on the subject of awe and reverence. Revelation, oh, that details much, but that all takes place in heaven, not right here. We enter in, but it doesn't look the same. I don't know if you noticed, there's no beings filled with eyes um, just kind of floating right here. I'm not being glib. We have to be careful how we co-opt the verses because they're in settings for reasons. But we can give you a brief overview of principles found in the New Testament. So with these next set of scriptures, just keep asking yourself, is my preferred liturgy, because I got one, you may too, is my preferred liturgy what makes me know God is here? Does it need an upgrade? Or is there some things that really jazz me that God doesn't ever say we should do? Here we go. Liturgy is supposed to be a corporate endeavor. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, ye, y'all, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, race, priesthood, nation. It's plural. A people, plural, for his own possession. And here's why he's possessed us. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So it's a corporate endeavor. Now, this next scripture, Hebrews 10, will talk about what's been done to us, how we do it, what we do, and who we do it with. Therefore, brothers, there's plural, since we have confidence, so here's what's been done to us, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, the holy of holies. It's been torn. That is through the curtain of his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's the synonym for the church, Let us draw near with a true heart, no different than the old covenant, in full assurance of faith. We have faith in him. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, there's baptism. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here's why. For he who promised is faithful. And this is all done in community. Community. Not a room full of individuals with iPods plugged in. We do this together. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, in light of all that we're supposed to do, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting, he winds it back up in the plural, to meet together, as is the habit of some. But here's what we're supposed to do. You know this is a primary activity of Sunday morning? Primary. Is your liturgy legit? But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, that day, when Christ returns drawing near. Okay, let's keep rolling down the list. 1 Corinthians 14. But all things should be done decently in order. Is your liturgy legit? Decently and in order. God cares. Oh, does culture matter? Absolutely. This is one of the things that God's doing. We need to reflect him. He's a God of order. It's not pandemonium. But we also need to represent him. And when, when someone from the community comes in, the Corinthians were just whacked. And Paul says, your services do more than good. Everybody's talking all over the place and all over the time, and everybody's just being proud. And this is a pandemonium. It'd be better if you shut down. But rather than shut down, get it right. And he gives detailed instructions to correct a problem. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. So then, my brothers, plural, when you come together to eat, oh, this is crazy. This is about communion. Wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together... Remember, that was just for, just for Ananias and Sapphiras, or that was just for Aaron's sons, or that was just for the golden calf. So when you come together, it will not be for, and in context, you could put the word, God's judgment. Here's what they were doing wrong. Slaves and, 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 and indigenous and indentured workers, the rich people would get together and they'd begin the fellowship meal, and the, they would end the fellowship meal with communion. And if you were running late because your master wouldn't let you off, which was typically the case, you missed the best seats, the best food. And they're eating and they're being gluttonous and, and it's class war. And, and they're just drinking and some of them are getting ripped. And, and that's what's going on. And Paul goes, excuse me, you're dishonoring the other brothers and sisters. You're having distinctions that are unbiblical. You're not waiting for them. You're despising them. And by doing that, because they're children of God, you're dishonoring God himself. And God cares how he's worshipped. And communion is part of worship. And if you're dishonoring each other, that's why Paul says, let a man examine himself. If you're dishonoring each other, you open yourself up for the judgment of God so you don't continue down that path and eventually apostatize and go to hell. (laughs) He kills you before you can send yourself to hell. God cares about how he's worshipped. That's a whole sermon. Acts 2, move on to pleasant things. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. So there's communion and prayers. Colossians 4. And when this letter had been read among you, there's the public reading of Scripture. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Luke's 11. And he said to them, when you pray. Do you know that the Lord's Prayer is never, ever, ever seen in the rest of Scripture? The Our Father is not prayed by anybody else. It's a prayer of form. Even the two versions we have are similar, but not identical. They say the same thing, but they cut pieces off. We're allowed, look at all the prayers in the New Testament. None of them are that. It's, it's how we're to pray, not the thing we must pray. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head covered? That was a thing that said in that culture of that day. It doesn't apply to us now. In that culture of that day, I can flaunt Genesis. I can do whatever I feel like and act however I want, no matter how God has done. And by the way, it flips for men as well. 
So they were flaunting God's created order and said, I don't have to act like how God's created me. I don't have to act like God's, how God's created me during worship. And Paul says, no. And they were also doing things that were culturally unacceptable, where people went, um, boys and girls, that's not how we act in our culture. And it's, it's actually demeaning God, and people come into our services and disrespect God because of how we are acting. And God says through Paul, straighten up. You've got to reflect and represent me in your Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 14. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So there's the plethora, the cornucopia of gifts. However, the one who prophesies is greater than who speaks in tongues. Here's why. Because if someone interprets it the same, the church must be built up. Encouragement. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at 1 Timothy 2.1. How you pray today in Miami, unless someone's going to interpret, you've got to pray in English. If you're going to pray out loud, going to come here and pray, you've got to pray in English. Unless your English is not good, and then someone will translate your Spanish. Or if you have a supernatural gift, you come up here and the same thing occurs. You can't pray in an unknown tongue unless there's an interpreter present. Why? Because it doesn't do us any good if we don't understand what's going on. And Sunday morning is about you being edified by God's preaching, people's praying, how we sing to each other, and how we treat each other. It's crazy that God has commanded us in how we represent him. We also reflect his great love and generous love for us, and that's how we're to treat each other. Let's keep moving. 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions. There is public prayer. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's, here's what it looks like on Sunday. You can teach and admonish each other out in the breezeway in here, sitting in here before the service. You do it in all wisdom. And when we sing, we sing psalms, but not just psalms. We sing hymns and not just hymns. We sing spiritual songs. Do we, like, do we want to grow in psalm singing here? Most assuredly. But do we sing psalms exclusively? That's tough to do when the psalms themselves encourage us to sing new songs. But we do it with thankfulness in our hearts towards God. Oh, look at Romans 16. Got this one down? No problem. Greet each other with a holy kiss. That's repeated several times in the New Testament. Matthew 18. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. <laughs> church disciplines for Sunday morning. Does that make you feel like God's present? 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 14. I thank God that I baptize none of you. Baptism is for Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What does love look like for us to come here? And we love God, but the primary way we love God in this verse is by loving one another. He's just talked about 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, love doesn't treat other people this way. Love does treat other people this way. Now, pursue that love. Because he's talking 12, 13, and 14 is about Sunday morning worship for them. So pursue all of 13 and desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Oh, here's the summation. Let all things done be done for building up. Listen to what this one author said. Keep, keep that one there in your head as you listen to this. Under the terms of the new covenant, worship goes on all the time. Romans 12. 
including when the people of God gather together. But, but, mutual edification and love does not go on all the time. It's tough to do that when I'm laying in my bed or having my quiet time in the morning by myself. Love does not go on all the time. It is what takes place when Christians gather together. Edification is the best summary of what occurs in corporate singing, corporate confession, public prayer, the ministry of the word, and so forth. So here's the question. Is your preferred liturgy legit? You've just had a laundry list of all the things that are worship. Does your, does my preferred liturgy include things that are less preferred? <laughs> not into the kiss thing, not into public prayer, serious. Have you heard how this person prays? Are there anything you read that, you, that if we did it every week, and we don't have to do all of them every week, but if we sang an entire Sunday of Psalms, I, I tell you how I'd be because it's new. I'd go, well, was God there this week? No, it wasn't the songs I've been singing since I got saved. See, if there's things that God says we're to do, and you and I don't like them as much, if we've got a pecking order about how we approach God, let me challenge you. You're in for an adventure. And you can expand your horizons. Because before you were a Christian, none of this worked. You didn't like any of it. And then there are things we grow used to. And they do bless us, and they're supposed to. But see, that's like, that's like eating an You know, if all you did was eat oatmeal, that, oh, goodness. I mean, you know, your cholesterol would be great. But really, just oatmeal? You know. Well, just think if then you discovered an apple. You know, you went to one kind of church, and, and for you, because you weren't a Christian, the liturgy was dead. Oatmeal, 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 oatmeal. And then you came to another kind of church, and it's like, they got apples, oranges, and bananas. This is awesome. And then because you got saved, you look back at the oatmeal, and you go like I did to the Lutheran church, and went, oh, this is awesome too. So the problem is, though, we kind of just hang with the fruit and the grain. And singing the Psalms or somebody publicly praying or that, you, you could just go, I don't know if, it, uh, uh, uh. but that'd be like saying, I love oatmeal and bananas, but I'm never going to eat a Brazilian steak. You never know. And if God says, hey, here's something new for you, but prescribed in my word, grab it with faith. Because it's part of his revelation. And his revelation is for our good. And his revelation treats him with awe and respect. And his obeying his revelation opens us up to new forms and new thoughts that are new, so we've got to get used to them. I get that. And we're not announcing that we're about to, everything's going to change tomorrow. Next week, Al's wearing investments. No, 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 that's not my part. Okay? So relax. We, we did the shock and awe for three weeks. We'll go back to but But... We just want to show you there's other ways, and we'll experience them together slowly and pastorally. But all that's in the Bible, 
And we just want to expand our vistas so we can worship God even more. Because if we do it the way he commands it, he's here. And he said, I'm doing I don't need this. I'm doing it because I'm God. And by the way, my glory is for your good. I want to bless you. And you're going to be blessed because I'm not a narcissist. We covered that last week. I'm doing this for your good. So let's embrace that, whatever that looks like. Because you know what? For every one of us, it's something different, isn't it? Some people are like hymns. Ugh. Other people, finally, we've sung hymns. We bring preferences. Diversity is beautiful. May it always continue. But diversity highlights our unity in the essentials, what God's word tells us to do for worship. Because it's not a form. It's not a style. It's not a culture. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Um, We get to worship you. And Lord, (laughs) we get to worship you a variety of ways. Because, Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped. And, Lord, it just reflects you and all your glory and all your diversity and all your wonderfulness. Lord, if you made stars without number, is it a surprise that there's more than one way to do this? But, Lord, (laughs) our ways are not yours. And our ways are influenced by preference and by selfishness or by our culture that we haven't been completely redeemed from in our own hearts and our practice. Lord, there's things we may want to do that are sincere, but we're wrong. Lord, there may be things we feel that we're feeling for the wrong reason. Lord, I don't know what those are for each of us. I've got them. Everybody has them from time to time. But Lord, change us because we want our worship and our devotion and our affection and our love and our response Because, Lord, you come to us first. Lord, you're holy. You are. And we want to glorify you. We want to obey you. But, Lord, Lord, we wouldn't have those desires unless you came to us first. You love us. And you're a good father who who makes his kids mine so they don't run out on the road and get run over. And makes his kids mine so they act good towards their brothers and sisters. And Lord makes his kids mine because he's dad. You're our heavenly father, and you love us. You sent your son to die for us, and you dwell in us. And you weren't content for us to go to a place. You wanted that place to be a person. So Lord, we can be tempted still to go to rote forms that are meaningless just because we've been used to them. Or I can be tempted. My mind will wander during worship, whether it's prayer or song or something that I don't consider too worshipful that you've commanded or explained in the text of Scripture. Lord, I pray we could all grow in this adventure of finding out how to worship you more and to benefit from the things you've said. Hey, this is how you approach me. It'll bless you. Respond in faith, even if you don't feel it. And I'll provide the feelings. Because I'm coming to you first in mercy. You respond. And like everything else, you'll find out my glory is for your good. Lord, we trust you as little children.
because you're a good God. If we ask for a fish, you won't give us a snake. And we come to you in faith wanting bread. You don't give us a stone. Instead, you've given us the manna from heaven, the bread of life, your very son, whose body was broken for us as we celebrated this morning. So, Lord, let us have a trembling joy every Sunday morning. Because every Sunday is Easter. (laughs) We celebrate all you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.